The Witching Hour with Aaron Mazza is a Mind Garden Media podcast in association with Screw You Todd Productions. My name is Aaron Mazza, and this is The Witching Hour. Hey everyone, it's Aaron. Thank you so much for joining me last week as I got to speak to the wonderful Ariana Serpentine about her new book, Sacred Gender. And also, thank you so much for joining me this week as I talked to author Jane Meredith about her newest book, Falling Through the Tree of Life, which on a personal note is probably one of the most enjoyable books about Kabbalah I have ever read. I also really hope that you will go to patreon.com and become a patron. The address to do that is patreon.com backslash Aaron Maza. There you will have the opportunity to receive free monthly readings, be part of a live stream book club, and many other little, what's the word I'm looking for? Perks about being one of my patrons. If you have any questions, feel free to shoot me a message on social media or even just go right to the Patreon, patreon.com backslash Aaron Maza and become one of my patrons. Either way, I really hope you enjoy the show. And if you have any questions, you know where to find me. Hey, Jane, how are you? Hi, Aaron. I'm great. How is Australia today? What's the weather like? Well, you know, where I am, it snowed last night quite heavily, and now it's really sunny. So there's this perfect, perfect mix of bright sunshine and still snow on the ground. It's very magical, like a fairy tale. Did you say snow when it's like 85 degrees outside my window? (laughs) Snow. I said snow. So it sounds like a perfect day where I would just not, I wouldn't even just leave the house to go to work because where I'm from, <laughs> rain falls from the sky and just people just lose all sense whenever it comes to driving. Yeah, no, it's pretty beautiful. All right. So go ahead. Uh, for those who are new to you, Jane, uh, go ahead and give us a bit about who Jane is in a nutshell to start out. Well, obviously I live in Australia. I'm a writer and a pagan and a ritualist and a feminist. I'm in love with the Kabbalah and the tree of life and trees generally and rivers and language and the magic of actually composing words and putting them together on the page. Uh, So I write books. This is my eighth published book, Falling Through the Tree of Life. And I also teach, I teach in the reclaiming tradition. I teach magic and ritual and within the goddess communities um, both online and in person. Yeah, and that's something about me. And, and that is quite the uh, that is quite the the resume. So, how did you begin this path? How did you discover witchcraft? Well, you know, I think I never left this path. So, for me, like as a child, and I think this is common with children. I was really, really in love with trees and rivers and birds and kind of the the wonders of the world and I mean the natural world which I you know felt a part of I didn't feel distinct uh, you know separated from the wind and the trees and the river and I just never really left that I, I mean I also loved fairy tales and myths which I think is also very common amongst the magical community and amongst children generally and I kind of stayed with it I 
I really didn't have a period of abandoning that love and that connection. And so then as I was, you know, I, I was always a writer and I wrote more and more into mythology and maybe magical realism or mythical realism. And I got more and more into myths of the goddess and I'd always created magic kind of on my own and I just kept going. I mean, obviously not seamlessly, like there were periods of time where I was really into it and other times um, not so much. But because I kept writing all through that, I guess that kept my connection alive as well. And I've often or always chosen to live in places um, that have a lot of natural beauty, which are often quite inconvenient and difficult places to live in. But I've lived there anyway. Um, yeah. So I, I, I find that question odd. Like I, I don't feel like I discovered it. I feel like I was born with it. I feel like it's our birthright. And I was lucky enough and or I had a difficult enough time as a child and a teenager that I didn't let go of it. That's awesome. Whereas I, I grew up, I'm, I'm originally from the Southern United States and I loved the, I grew up with the, with the same enjoyment of nature and trees. I grew up in rural Oklahoma, but mm. I also had a Southern Baptist and monotheistic Christianity uh, just driven into me. And I feel like if I wasn't exposed to that, I would have grown up in the same manner, you know? Yeah, we're very irreligious in Australia. And that is one of the many, many, many reasons I admire I admire the Australian people. <laughs> yeah. And it's like up here, here in the States, we're, we're starting to see the ramifications of a culture war where people who are like witches and secular humanists are saying, okay, we've had enough of being ruled by tyrannical religion. About time. Yeah, it's been a long time coming and I'm, I'm happy I'm happy to see it here. A little scared, but you, you have to do what's right even if you're scared. Mm. Mm. So you mentioned earlier that you are a, uh, that, that you're a ritualist. Uh, what does that necessarily entail to be a specifically a ritualist? Yeah, I guess I used that word and I felt like maybe I made it up. I mean, maybe other people have as well. Uh, to say that I'm not a ceremonialist. Like I'm into uh, co-creating ritual uh, with other humans, if it's with other humans, or with wherever I, the place, the land and the time and the moment. And there's a certain amount of spontaneity in that. Like there might be guidelines. Certainly if there's other people, we often have a framework or an agreement. Uh, but it, for me, being calling myself a ritualist merely, really means that I uh, want to acknowledge the sacred in the everyday and then also in times when we've set, set aside for magical ritual, okay, we're going to do a, you know, spring equinox ritual at 3 o'clock on Sunday or whatever, and it's going to last for about an hour and a half, that that ritual is something that arises of the moment, that people bring different pieces of it. Um, it's creative. It's probably never repeated exactly. And we're creating it in response to who's there, what the weather is, uh, what issues are going on in the world at that moment that's touching us, what our personal lives is happening in, that, in those. Uh, and But we're creating magic and ritual with and because of and, you know, for those things. Mm-hmm. That sounds, uh, I can't say specifically, you said you probably made up the word ritualist. Well, now it's an official word. I've said it. <laughs> By the power vested in me as a podcast host, I officially say ritualist. You're putting it out there. <laughs> it is. It's going to catch on. Trust, trust me. It's going to be big. So 
you mentioned it like about being being a feminist and things of and stuff like that. And so, what is the role? Which makes me want to ask you the question: What is the role of the witch in issues of social justice? What what part are we supposed to play? Oh, that's such a big question, and I don't like to answer it for anybody else. So I guess I'll just answer it for myself. Um, I think that where one is, where one finds oneself in terms of geography, but um, also in social settings and also in one's life. You know, like I I would want to think of the witch or the ritualist or the priestess as not divided from those things. In fact, joined very deeply with those things and in conversation with all of those things. So therefore, it might be very different for each person in each part of their life, uh, where and how we show up to these Um, broader issues uh, you know which like the personal is political was a great feminist saying that I don't think is worn out yet so it can be in our personal lives like uh, how we notice people being treated how we're treated ourselves how we're treating other people how the earth is being treated where we live how we are treating the earth um, the interactions between humans between what we might call like non-living the Mm non-living world I mean I think it's all kind of on a continuum but I, I I don't know that I can answer your question specifically like I think that witchcraft that magic uh, that ritual is about acknowledging celebrating honoring our essential oneness with the life force with all that is and therefore political issues ecological issues um, you know like are right in our faces Mm-hmm. Um, and how we should deal with them, like that's, you know, there are, there's many different ways to to do that from writing a book or a blog or um, putting a podcast together um, to taking action in one's local community to supporting others to teaching our children uh, how to be co-creators and, and responsible for this beautiful world. Like I, I think, you know, that's what I want to say essentially. We're not divided from it. We're essentially in and of it and perhaps more called to notice that than many other groupings of people who might separate humans and nature, you know, and talk about the relationship between mm-hmm. humans and nature, um, kind of neglecting the fact that we're actually part of nature. Yeah, I feel like that was a rambling reply. Sorry. No, it's a, it is encouraged because it is, that, that is a question where, to which there is your right answer, your answer is the right answer. You know what I mean? And I have always said that we, we as humans just tend to forget that we're, we're not, we are organisms and animals ourselves. We are a part of nature. We're not higher than it. We're not bigger than it. We are it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so when we destroy, um, you know, like the a, a local ecosystem or um, the climate or the temperature of the ocean or whatever, it, its effects are not separate from us. Like we are living, breathing that. And it's just like uh, up here, up here in the states. I'm sure you heard down there about the Supreme Court overstepping their boundaries and basically moving from the bench, yeah, and uh, revoking and meddling in, in women's bodies and women's rights. It's just as much the role of the the male witch and the non-binary witch and the queer witches to be out there supporting women and female witches in this issue because you know what they came for women and they could be going for anybody else next. Yeah, I, I mean, that whole 
kind of basic human rights. You know, like the rest of the world looks on the United States with kind of a, a mix of kind of horror and kind of mild hysteria. Like what is going on there? You know, like. Uh, oh, imagine how we felt whenever whenever that came across our phones. Yeah. It, uh, it was just. I'm so sorry. Of, I'm yeah. so sorry. Let me, let me offer my sympathies to you for, for living there and being part of that particular madness. Just don't be surprised if I try to FedEx myself to your house. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> good luck on that. So you, you, your latest book, Falling Through the Tree of Life, which is become one of my favorite books about Kabbalah because it makes it digestible. How long has this, had this been simmering with you, Jane? And also tell us about when you first fell in love with Kabbalah. Yeah, well... I want to say like it's seeds had perhaps always been simmering within me in that I um, am half Jewish, so not in a religious way, uh, but by blood and DNA. And so maybe those were always there. And I think that idea of seeds of the tree, you know, like it's scattered throughout, you know, Western occult magic and it's scattered in a lot of places really, the seeds of the Kabbalah. It took me, I, I, like perhaps many people, had always regarded the Kabbalah with like a, an awe and uh, a, an incomprehension when it was referred to, like I would read the pages or I would read books on it and I like I read the words, but was I actually comprehending what was happening? Mostly not. And so it, it was always this kind of blocked off area of like, oh, someday I should try and understand that. Oh, I don't know how anyone would do that. Then at the same time, kind of concurrently, I was searching for the answers to the mysteries of life, you know, as one does. And I, I got more and more hints, more and more clues that the answers for me, you know, like the pathway there. And they seem to perhaps lead towards this tree of life, this Kabbalah, the Kabbalah mysteries. Uh, and so one time, you know, about 10 years ago, I decided to tackle it. And I realized that the way that I learn basically everything is by doing it. Like I read books to support knowledge and information and get ideas and see what other people have done and, you know, all of that. But when I actually learn something, body learn it, I have to learn it with my body in my body. And so finally I um, accessed a, a large room which had a wooden floor and a few pieces of chalk and nine friends or comrades or people willing to go on this experiment with me. And I drew in chalk on the wooden floor a very large a tree of life with a 10 sephirot. Wow. And then I invited us to stand in the tree. Well, to dance around it, to talk it through, but if, essentially in the end to stand in the tree in the 10 places and to begin uh, trying to unpick, um, rework, understand, relate to the mysteries of the tree of life. And almost as soon as I did that, like physically did it, the tree began speaking to me. I, I guess you could say that's when I began to fall in love because it was there. Its presence was there. I was relating to it. I was in it. I was of it. Uh, and it just unfolded and continued from there. And I'm now I, now I wouldn't hesitate to say that I'm in love with it. That is gorgeous because usually a lot of the books you see, like on the Tree of Life and Kabbalah, were, and were written by people who didn't who didn't want to give this tree of life this they didn't want to give it life and with your book you have taken the tree of life and you've literally 
make, gave it life. I don't mean to sound redundant, but that's <laughs> like, that's like he wrap, gave folks. me life, you know? I, I, I've honored, maybe hopefully, I've honored that vision of what it's like when the, the tree of life is able to, you know, one can hear, one can listen, one can feel it through one's body, speaking and living and growing. Um, so, yeah, I don't so much think I gave it life as it's always been alive. And we've been kind of looking for it in dead ways or, you know, closed ways, whereas it is so vibrantly willing to speak and share and dance and move and, and is doing that, I believe. Uh, but this lens of understanding it through the glyph of the tree of life, um, through the sephirot, like that's it's very available in an embodied way. And I guess, you know, uh, you spoke about my book at the beginning um, saying it's one of your favourite Kabbalah books. I think that the difference in this is that I am going for a pagan embodied Kabbalah. I love that. And it's just kind of like uh, you've taken, I used to be so intimidated by the Kabbalah because they has, because people are using like numbers and Hebrew letters. And that is the extent people would give the Kabbalah is that it is more scientific it's like it's a science they treat it like a it's a science experiment and they treat it like it is uh nothing more than words on a page but with your book uh falling through the tree of life you take each circle and you reveal the life that's within that phrase sure yeah and I, I mean i think when i was reading those books that it was always like they were privy to mysteries that they weren't passing on to me and that's what, kind of what I believe that um, that the either the Western occult magic system or the the Jewish mystical tradition, like those people were immersed in the Kabbalah. Uh, it's just that the way that they translated it onto a page uh, was not from that place of immersion, but from the kind of outside place. And you had to have an insider's knowledge. You had to already be in the know to make sense of those things. So, um, you know, it was the hidden in plain sight type of thing. You can read this, but it will make no sense to you unless you already understand the mysteries. Yeah, and I think that's what it, what's been missing from a lot of that magical system is they don't want to share it. You know what I mean? They don't want to share the life that comes from it. And it's something that's meant to be shared, not kept under glass. Yeah. I mean, it's a living tradition and, uh, you know, certainly in – the Jewish tradition, Kabbalah, is not static. Uh, it's a, a tradition of debate and discussion. Uh, it's, it's alive, you know, that, that even um, receiving, like, I don't know, lessons in it is a bit redundant in a way, let alone reading it on the page, that it has to be something that one participates in and one argues with and debates uh, and learns through experience it's meant to be uh hashed uh, it's meant to be hashed through it's just not meant to be accepted as a kind of like uh, organized religion it's just not meant to be accepted at with no question you're you're supposed to just be spoon-fed and kabbalah from what i understand it from what you're saying is not meant to be just spoon-fed it's meant to be reasoned and talked about and be breathed into yeah, yeah, it, it can't be like it, you can't just sit back and kind of receive it. You have to participate in it and to, to like really get it, I guess. 
um, yeah, so it's a living tradition. And it's, uh, so the book again is called Falling Through the Tree of Life by Jane Meredith. And from what I understand, you have written a few other books. You want to give us a little rundown on those on a bit of your bibliography? I think that's the word. Sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I forget how to English and you have to, <laughs> and you have to yeah. forgive me. Yeah, so I've written three goddess books. Uh, the most recent of those is Aspecting the Goddess, uh, which is kind of a deep personal dive into my relationships with 12 different goddesses. But it really includes a lot of processes, exercises, rituals um, for the reader to create their own relationship with whatever deity um, they are drawn to or is drawn to them or um, to explore that in more depth. Uh, Journey to the Dark Goddess, I guess, is my best-selling book. And that's, uh, yeah, it's a book about heeding the call into the underworld and from the Dark Goddess and how to do that in a way that means that you can make sense of it, do it, come through it and come out the other side. Um, Yeah, and then uh, published by the same company, Llewellyn, that has published Falling Through the Tree of Life, uh, I have a couple of books that I co-authored with my friend Theo Gede-Palmer. There's Elements of Magic, which actually is an anthology with uh, 30 contributors, and also Magic of the Iron Pentacle. Uh, and then a couple of other books on uh, local magic, magic of place, and um, ritual, I, I guess, like contemporary Celtic-based seasonal rituals. But... Totally, like Falling Through the Tree of Life took me three years to write and like it's a big book and it's a big book in my brain and life and um, I guess that's the one I'm more excited to talk about. And I remember when we've spoken before, I asked you, like how did you find the memoir because that's unusual in a nonfiction book, I guess, of this type, an instructional manual. Uh, that's you know mainly essays and and kind of explaining in this case the tree of life and I have memoir sections all through it and I really loved what you said um, when I asked you about that how it was reading those the uh the memoirs if I remember correctly is the memoirs that just sort of gave it a uh, personal flavor it gave because it's all too often we're just kind of like plop there's our subject uh, I'm not going to tell you how it relates to me I'm not going to tell you this, that, or the other. It's just, here it is. Do with it what you want. Uh, and I'm someone who needs a little bit of instruction because <laughs> I, I have been known to hunt down people who write books and to ask them questions about their books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, that's a great thing for an author. And it's, so where, where are you on out there in the internet universe? Where, where can people find Jane? Okay, I do have a website, uh, which is www.janemeredith.com. I mean, that's a really easy way to find me. I do have um, a fa- author Facebook page, which is Jane Meredith Author, and that's also my Instagram handle is Jane Meredith Author. And hopefully, I mean, the most exciting place, like those are all places, yeah. I, I don't know where you can find me. You can find pieces, bits of me, but really... The books, like I'd want to say, oh, the books, that's the thing, you know, um, to to learn more or to delve into these topics or see what I'm on about as an author or a ritualist or whatever. 
Like, really, it's in the books. Don't all authors say that? Oh, really, it's in the books. <laughs> I, I do teach as well, and I teach um, this Kabbalah material as usually as a year-long course by distance, like with calls once a month. Um, and so I will be doing that next year. And I teach plenty of other things as well. Uh, there's a calendar on my website, and you can sign up for an e-zine, which I send out eight times a year. Um, but, yeah, so I think the living version of Jane Meredith, while she exists, uh, is best found in the books <laughs> and, and teaching and then, you know, supported by these other things of website and Instagram and Facebook. So uh, what is next? Is there another book on the burner for you or is there oh, a like there's always more coming books. up? There's always more books, Erin, you know, if you're a writer. I, well, I hope that's true. So, yeah, there will be more books. But for me, this book, Falling Through the Tree of Life, this is like the big book. I cannot imagine, who knows the future, but I cannot imagine writing another book of this kind of gigantic proportion in I every way. Right next to um, me. And it is, yeah. and it is a, what I, I used this word earlier, it, it is a, a beefy book and beefy is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my attempt to explain the universe from the beginning to the end and everything along the way is in that book. So I can imagine writing other, you know, beautiful gems of books who hang in the trees like beautiful fruits or butterflies or birds that hang in the tree of life. Uh, but I can't imagine writing a book this enormous in every way, really, again. Who knows? We were talking about the memoirs a second ago, and I remembered one. It was, like, called The Source of Love. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to, I can't remember the specifics of exactly. You met a friend for coffee and she had feelings for a uh, a younger gentleman. And it's, that one really stood out in my mind, especially being in like the queer community where uh, youth is currency. <laughs> mm. And it mm. was a, uh, uh, go out and grab this book, people. Falling Through the Tree of Life, it will... Give the Kabbalah itself life. Uh, Crowley, Rigardi, all those guys are good at their books and stuff. But this book takes the Kabbalah out from under the glass. Thank you. That's a lovely thing to say. Yeah. The tree of life is breathing. Well, breathing and alive and blossoming um, anywhere you care to look for it. I really enjoyed finally getting to visit with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for your persistence through our technological challenges. It is. And shout out to your son for figuring out something that neither you or I did. <laughs> yeah, that's where you need the younger generation. And I will talk to you again very soon, Jane, I hope. Thanks. I'd love to. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, have a lovely evening.